إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد Today then we're going to begin with the hadith of Abu Musa al-Ash'ari radiyallahu anhu qal qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mathalu al-jalisi salih wa saw kahamil al-misk wa nafikh al-kir fahamilu al-misk imma an yuhdiyak وَإِمَّا أَنْ تَبْتَاعَ مِنْهُ وَإِمَّا أَنْ تَجِدَ مِنْهُ رِيحًا طَيِّبَةً وَنَافِخُ الْكِيرِ إِمَّا أَنْ يَحْرِقَ ثِيَابَكَ وَإِمَّا أَنْ تَجِدَ مِنْهُ رِيحًا خَبِيثًا مُتَّفَقٌ عَلَيْهِ In this hadith of the Prophet sallallahu he mentions the example of a good companion and that of a bad companion. An example is given, a parable is given regarding that of a good companion and that of a bad companion. The good companion, the example given is of a person who sells fragrances. The one who sells the misk, sells that fragrance. And the example of a bad companion in the parable is the blacksmith. And the hadith mentions, because the fragrance seller, that individual in all of the circumstances, in all of the circumstances around him, you benefit. But as for the blacksmith, then in the circumstances around him, you do not benefit. That is the parable given and the explanation will come in this hadith now. In the explanation of Sheikh Abdurrahman al-Sa'di. So he says, مَثَّلَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ بِهَذَيْنِ الْمِثَالَيْنِ مَبْنِيًّا أو مُبَيِّنًا أَنَّ الْجَلِيسَ الصَّالِحِ جَمِيعُ أَحْوَالِكَ مَعَهُ وَأَنْتَ فِي مَغْنَمُ وَخَيْرِ The fragrance seller, you will always be benefiting around him. Because either he will give you some fragrance as a gift, or... Even when you're just around him, then all of the fragrances, you'll impact with them, be affected by them. They'll go onto your clothes. So you benefit from the one who is selling the fragrance in all circumstances. فَتَنْتَفِعُ بِمَا مَعَهُ مِنَ الْمِسْكِ إِمَّا بِهِبَ أَوْ So either... When you're around the, the fragrance seller, you buy some mist from him. And that will benefit you. And you'll have the good fragrance on you afterwards. Or maybe he will give you some as a gift. 
the fragrant seller, maybe he gives you some as a gift, and so you benefit from that too. Or maybe even if you don't buy one and you're not given one as a gift, just being around him, then those fragrances, they'll go into your garments and your clothes too, and so you benefit. Hence, in your circumstances or in your situation as a whole, when you are around the fragrance seller, then you are always benefiting in every situation. That as long as you are sitting with him, as long as you are sitting with that fragrance seller, then you are in a positive state. You are in a positive state being around that fragrance seller. فَالْخَيْرِ الَّذِي يُصِيبُهُ الْعَبْدِ مِنْ جَلِيسِهِ الصَّالِحِ أَبْلَغْ وَأَفْضَلْ مِنَ الْمِسْكِ الْأَذْفَرِ فَإِنَّهُ إِمَّا أَنْ يُعِلِّمَكَ مَا يَنْفَعُكَ فِي دِينِكَ وَدُنْيَاكَ أَوْ يَهْدِي لَكَ نَصِيحَةً أَوْ يُحَذِّرَكَ مِنَ الْإِقَامَةِ عَلَى مَا يَضُرُّكَ So the example of the fragrance seller is the example of a good companion. A good companion is somebody that you are constantly benefiting from, that you are constantly in a positive state around. There is always good in your companionship with that good companion. So either that good companion, he teaches you something from your religion, teaches you something regarding your religion, he imparts some knowledge upon you regarding the religion, or he gives you some nasiha, some advice regarding your affairs, regarding your practices, gives you some religious good advice regarding some affairs, and so you're benefiting. Or he warns you from that which is harmful to you. Your good companion warns you from that which is harmful to you. So in all circumstances, from the good companion, you are benefiting. Either he is teaching you some knowledge of the religion, or he is giving you some good nasiha regarding your affairs, or he is warning you against the shirk or the bid'ah, or the affairs that are harmful to you. So being around that type of companion is beneficial for you always. And the scholars, they used to say that it is suitable, if possible, to have your companions as those who are slightly more knowledgeable than yourself. If possible, to have your companions as those who are more knowledgeable than yourself. Because in that way, you have more of an opportunity to be constantly benefiting benefiting from the extra knowledge that they have over you. And even if that is not possible, then you be with those whom are upon the remembrance of Allah constantly. And so that remembrance and that revision, that is something that occurs amongst you in your sittings, in your gatherings. They are not just gatherings of 
talking about this and that and wasting your time. But they are gatherings of knowledge, they are gatherings of dhikr, gatherings of remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that is the type of companion that you want to have. That is the type of companion that will be beneficial to you, beneficial for you in your religion. In another narration, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, إِنَّ الْمَرْءَ عَلَى دِينِ خَلِيلِهِ That indeed a person is upon the religion of his beloved, of your companion, your beloved one. You will be upon the religion of your beloved, of your companion. فَلْيَنْظُرْ أَحَدُكُمْ مَنْ يُخَالِلْ so therefore you should look carefully to whom you take as your beloved ones, who you take as your companions, who you take as your close friends. They should be people who are upon the Qur'an and the Sunnah, people who are practicing a Salafiyya, Ahlu Sunnah, so that you can be upon benefit in being in their company. Indeed, the company rubs off so if you are in the company of the deviants, you are in the company of those who are misguided, then that will slowly rub off on you. As Shaykh Rabi'ah mentioned, how many people have we seen throughout the past? They used to be people of intelligence, people of knowledge. But... Once they started sitting with the people of desires, then slowly that impacted upon them until they fell back into those affairs that the people were upon whom they were sitting with. So your company will no doubt impact upon you. It will impact upon you. So if you have weak company, people who are not practicing the religion, then slowly but surely, you will notice yourself becoming weaker in that company. Do not think that I am practicing, I'm okay. It's okay to have friends who are not practicing. Slowly the impact of that companionship will occur. Slowly the impact of that friendship will rub off on you. And the fact that they are not practicing their religion will slowly weaken you because you are in that companionship regularly. Therefore a person strives to ensure that his companions are people of the sunnah, that his companions are righteous, that his companions are practicing, so that this may be a means of keeping you strong, a means of reminding you, a means of increasing your iman, being in that good company. So this is what the Prophet ﷺ is highlighting to us in this opening section of the narration, talking about the righteous friend, the righteous companion, as that uh, of the example of the fragrance seller, that the good companion is the one that you are regularly benefiting from, benefiting in terms of the knowledge, the advice, benefiting in remembrance, in reminding you, making you stronger, increasing your iman, sittings and gatherings of knowledge and reminders and studying, 
They are the types of companions you want to have. If your companions are people who have little care for the religion, and they never attend the classes, and they never talk about the Qur'an or the Sunnah, and they never think about knowledge, then you will only become weaker and weaker in that type of companionship. So be aware. Then the second part of the narration tells you about the bad companionship. The bad companion is that of the parable of a blacksmith. Because when you are with the blacksmith, then either you're going to end up burning your clothes. That blacksmith, when he's working with the fire and the the coal, etc., then you could end up burning your clothes from that fire, from the the splinters, etc. Or even if you don't burn your clothes, being around that blacksmith, you will at least come out later smelling bad, smelling bad from the environment that he's in and he's working in, and the fire and the heat and the burning, etc., and the, the, the molding and the melting, all of that going on, then at the minimum when you come out of that area, you will be smelling of the fumes and the fire, etc. So that is the example of a bad companion, that when you come from a bad companion, you have not benefited, you have worsened, your clothes have burnt or they have come out smelling from that gathering. And that's the example of a person who's a bad companion. That you're not benefiting in being with him. You're not benefiting with your religion. You're being harmed. You're seeing him not practicing, not caring, nothing. Then slowly it weakens you. And it causes you to decrease in your practicing and your strength. Because all of your company are people of weakness. So you are not benefiting but you're being harmed. And in particular if your friends and your companions are people of desires, that should not be the case. Because then you will be harmed in your religion and your understanding of the religion, in your aqidah, in your uh, practice. You will be deviated along with those people. You will be affected by their innovations and their desires. So certainly a person looks to whom he holds as his companions, looks to whom he holds as his company, because indeed that is something that will affect you certainly. As the Prophet said, إِنَّ الْمَرْءَ عَلَى دِينِ Indeed a person is upon the religion of his friend, upon the religion of his beloved, of his companion, if your companions are all people who are not upon the sunnah, then you should fear for yourself that you may be impacted by that and deviate away. So keep your friends from the people of the sunnah, from those who are practicing, from those who will remind you of your religion and give you good advice when required. That is what you should be upon and that is the advice from the Prophet wasallam to us. Then the next narration of Abu Hurairah رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا يلدغ المؤمن من جحر واحد مرتين متفق عليه That a believer is not stung 
from the same hole twice. A believer is not stung from the same hole twice. And one of the meanings and explanations of this narration is that a believer needs to ensure that they stay away from sinning. When you sin and you do a wrong, then it is as though you've been stung from that hole. Shaitan whispered and he was successful in causing you to go down that hole and to commit that sin. So do not be stung in the same hole twice. Do not allow the shaitan to whisper to you again to go down that hole of that sinning and disobedience and incur more sin. Do not incur sin again and again. Do not allow the shaitan to drag you down that hole again and again. The believer does not get stung in the same hole twice. وَأَنَّ الْمُؤْمِنَ يَمْنَعُهُ إِيمَانُهُ مِنْ اقْتِرَافِ السَّيِّئَاتَ الَّتِي تَضُرُّهُ مُقَارَفَتُهَا That a believer, his iman should prevent him from falling into those sins that will harm you. وَأَنَّهُ مَتَى وَقَعَ فِي شَيْءٍ مِنْهَا فَإِنَّهُ فِي الْحَالِ يُبَادِرْ إِلَى النَّدَمُ وَالتَّوْبَ وَالْإِنَابَةِ And that whenever... You do fall into some sin, you are dragged into that hole, that you instantly repent and return back to Allah, recognizing your shortcoming, recognizing your error, and not falling into that hole and that sin once again. وَمِنْ تَمَامْ تَوْبَتِهِ And from the perfection and the completion of your tawbah, when you make an error, and you seek repentance from the completion of your repentance, and يَحْضَرَ غَايَةَ الْحَضَرِ مِنْ ذَلِكَ السَّبَبَ الَّذِي أَوْقَعْهُ فِي الدَّمْبِ That you show an extra level of caution, precaution, from the thing that led you to commit that sin in the first place, the first time. Whatever was the cause of you committing that sin, then you strive to be extra careful and precautious from getting near that reasoning or falling into that reason again that is going to lead you into that sin again. So those things, those reasonings that impact upon you, leading you to commit sin, then be cautious and aware of those things so you don't go do them again and therefore end up in sin again. كَحَالِ مَنْ أَدْخَلَ يَدَهُ فِي جُحْرٍ فَلَدَغَتْهُ And that is the example of somebody put their hand into a hole and was stung or bitten by a snake. فَإِنَّهُ بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ لَا يَكَادِ يَدْخُلْ يَدَهُ فِي ذَلِكَ الْجُحْرِ After that, the person will, unless it was some absolute extraordinary situation, he would not put his hand back into that hole again. Because of how you were afflicted the first time. That is how you should view sins. When you fall into that sin the first time, the hand goes into the hole and you are stung. 
You have been stung by the sin upon you now. Stung, the shaitan has succeeded in committing that sin from you. Then when you feel that sting the first time from the sin, and you repent, then you should recognize now you do not want to feel that sting again. You do not want to have that sin upon you again. You do not want that written upon you again. Just like a believer, if you put your hand in a physical hole, and you were stung or bitten, then you would not want to put your hand in there again. So when you are stung or bitten by the sin that you've committed, the sin upon you, written upon you, shaitan having succeeded in making you do that, then you want to make sure that this does not happen again. Your hand does not fall in there again. Shaitan is not successful with you again on that sin. He does not have victory over you in committing that sin. You are not stung by that burden again and that writing of the sin upon you. وَكَمَا أَنَّ الْإِيمَانِ يَحْمِلُ صَاحِبَهُ عَلَى فِعْلَ الطَّاعَاتِ وَيَرَغِبُهُ فِيهَا وَإِحْزِنُهُ لِفَوَاتِهَا فَكَذَلِكَ يَسْجُرُهُ عَنْ مُقَارَفَةِ سَيِّئَاتِ وَإِنْ وَقَعَتْ بَادَرَ إِلَى النُّزُوِعِ عَنْهَا وَلَمْ يَعُدْ إِلَى مِثْلِ مَا وَقَعَ فِيهِ Sheikh says, when you do righteous actions, your iman, it encourages you to do more righteous actions, and you feel good after doing those righteous actions, and you feel sad if you miss out on those righteous actions. The same for the opposite. If you fall into a sin, then you should recognize how bad that is, and feel bad regarding it, and have regret regarding it. You should recognize how that impacts upon your iman and the evil of having done that, and the disobedience to Allah you've committed. And as a consequence then, you do not enter your hand into that hole once again. وَيَدُلُّ عَلَى الْحَثْ عَلَى تَجَنُّبِ أَسْبَابِ الْرِيبِ الَّتِي يُخْشَى مِنْ مَقَارَبَتِهَا الْوُقُوعِ فِي الشَّرْءِ يُخْشَى مِنْ مُقَارَبَتِهَا الْوُقُوعِ فِي الشَّرْءِ That this hadith uh, indicates also, it encourages you to stay away from the things, from the acts, from the affairs, from the places, from the company, to stay away from the things as a whole, whatever those things are, that lead you to commit sin. If you have bad company, like we've just been saying, they commit sins, when you're with them, you end up doing it too, then avoid that company. Do not have those companions. If you have some other thing, some other place where you go, and you end up committing sin every time you go through that place, even though the place itself may be mubah to go to, but you know when you go around that area, then you always end up committing some sin down there. Then don't go to that area. Whatever the reasons behind your sinning are, then abstain from those reasonings and from getting close to them. And that is why Allah mentions in the Quran, when it comes to certain sins, that principle, وَلَا تَقْرَبُوا zina. Do not go anywhere near fornication. Meaning, the things... The scenarios, the causes that lead to fornication, stay away from all of them. Forget about the actual sin of fornicating, that's at the end. But all of the means and the causes that lead to it, then they are all forbidden for you, stay away from them. Stay away from the things that will lead you to that sin. 
The sin itself, of course you stay away from it. But everything else leading to the sin, stay away from it too. If you know by going to a certain area or by having certain friends and being in their company, you end up committing sins, then abstain from that. Abstain from going to that area or hanging around with those friends because you know that will lead you to commit sin. So the shaykh says, a person who tastes the bitterness of that evil, when you put your hand into the hole and you're bitten by the snake, you taste and you feel the bitterness and the evil of what's happened. That is the example of the sin when you commit it. You feel and you taste the bitterness of the sin that you've done, and you don't want to do it again, and you don't want to experience that again. And that is the way the believer should be. Then after that, we move on to the narration of Abu Hurairah, radiallahu anhu qal, جَاءَ رَجُلٌ فَقَالْ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ أَوْسِنِي فَقَالْ لَا تَغْضَبْ ثُمَّ رَدَّدَ مِرَارًا فَقَالْ لَا تَغْضَبْ رواه البخاري In this hadith now, Abu Hurairah, radiallahu anhu says, a man came to the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and said, O messenger of Allah, advise me. O messenger of Allah, advise me. So the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, gave him a piece of advice. He said to him, La taghdab. He explained this characteristic to him. He said, Do not get angry. So the man replied again, advise me with some advice again. The Prophet ﷺ said the same thing, do not ever get angry, don't get angry. Don't let anger overcome you. The man again said, give me some more advice. The Prophet ﷺ said, don't let anger overcome you. Do not become angry. La taghdab. This hadith then, it indicates a an advice of the Prophet ﷺ to the believers regarding this emotion of anger, that a person should attempt and understand that this characteristic of anger, then it typically does not bring about good. There may be circumstances where anger is in its place, and it brings about good. But there will be uh, instances where this anger does not bring about goodness from an individual. And we saw some examples in some of the previous narrations. For example, the narrations about the husband and the wife, that the anger between them does not bring about good. That you see something small from your spouse, and you instantly uh, become angered and demonstrate anger, then that is not something suitable. And that's why in another narration, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, لَيْسَ الشَّدِيدُ بِسُرْعَةِ إِنَّمَا الشَّدِيدُ الَّذِي يَمْلِكُ نَفْسَهُ عِنْدَ الْغَضَبِ That the, the strong and the tough one 
is not the one who's tough when it comes to physically being tough, fighting, brawling. That is not the tough one the Prophet ﷺ said. That is not the strong one. The strength in reality, the Prophet ﷺ said, the strength in reality is that you can control yourself at the time of anger. That is a person who is strong in his character. You can control yourself at the time of anger. You can control yourself at that time when anger overcomes you, and that emotion overcomes you. But as for physically being able to take someone down, that isn't power and strength. Reality of strength in your character is that you have the strength where it is required at the time of anger. You can control yourself in that anger. So you do not let the anger take control of you, and so you behave in a manner that is not suitable, you behave in a manner that is not befitting, you behave in a manner that is not from the characteristics of the Muslim. So the Prophet ﷺ mentions in this narration regarding the issue of anger, and the need for a person to control his anger, and that the one who is strong in reality, is not the one who is physically strong, but the one who can control himself at that time of anger. Final narration we'll mention today then is the hadith of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu qal qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam la yadkhulul jannata man kana fi qalbihi mithqalu dharratin min kibr faqala rajul inna arrajula yuhibbu an yakuna thawbuhu hasana wa na'aluhu hasana 
فقال إن الله جميل يحب الجمال الكبر بطر الحق وغمق الناس رواه مسلم In this narration the Prophet ﷺ informs us regarding certain bad characteristics and if you have them the Prophet ﷺ says that type of person will not enter paradise. What are they? The first one mentions that a person has like you say in English in the translations an atom's weight of arrogance in his heart. That a person who has arrogance, an arrogant person, then that type of individual it's mentioned, la يدخلوا jannah Will not enter paradise the one who has even the smallest amount of arrogance in his heart. So then a man said to the Prophet ﷺ, but a man, people love to wear good clothes and good shoes. Meaning the man was asking the Prophet ﷺ, if we dress nicely and nice clothes and nice shoes, does that count as arrogance too then? Is that arrogance? So the Prophet ﷺ replied to him, إِنَّ اللَّهَ جَمِيلٌ يُحِبُّ الْجَمَالِ That Allah is jameel and He loves the jamal, meaning loves the beautification from you. That is not arrogance. That a person dresses nicely from what Allah has blessed him with, that is not considered arrogance, but rather arrogance is rejecting the truth and belittling the people. That type of thing is the arrogance. So here, this indicates to us the evil of this characteristic of arrogance. In particular, in particular from people who have no right to be arrogant. A person who has no right, he doesn't even have the characteristic that he's arrogant upon. Then it shows you the diminutive nature of this individual and his brain. So these days the people, when it comes to knowledge, everybody wants to be the sheikh on YouTube. Everyone is the sheikh. Uploading their videos and then putting the title on Sheikh such and such from the students of a Sheikh Al Fawzan and from the students of a Sheikh Bin Baz. All of these titles that they put on and all it is that they sat in the classes of Sheikh Bin Baz. Sheikh Bin Baz would have never known who they were or their name or anything, but now because they attended a few classes. They can come back to the West and say, we are from the students of a Sheikh bin Baz. And in reality, the scholars have said, you are only the student of a particular Sheikh, if you are upon the methodology of that Sheikh. Sheikh bin Baz and the scholars, they were upon Salafiyyah. And Ikhwani comes along now, or a Tablighi, even a Tablighi, from the big ones, from the callers, uses this statement, to beguile and to deceive his followers. Tells them 30 years ago, 40 years ago, I was from the students of a Sheikh Bin Baz. He used to be in Saudi 40 years ago. He sat in some of the classes of Sheikh Bin Baz. He's a tablighi now. Around in this area, Lancashire. Old, 50, 60 years old now. Calls to the Sufi or everything. But he tells the people, I am from the students of a Sheikh Bin Baz. 
40 years ago, passing through Saudi, living there for a year or two, whatever it was, sat in a few classes. Now he tells everybody, I'm from the students of a Sheikh bin Bas. So now people these days, they want to attribute to themselves a high level of knowledge. And they don't have it. So if you don't give those people the respect that they think they now deserve, you don't call them Sheikh, you say brother such and such, they say, Akhi, have some respect. Have some respect. This person, he's been abroad, he studied, he's done this and that, and he sat with this person and that person, he was gone abroad for a whole nine months. Call him Sheikh. Sheikh now, don't just say brother this and that in front of the people. Call him Sheikh such and such in front of the people. Arrogance without even having the cause for the arrogance. At least if somebody was knowledgeable, and then they want to have that status with the knowledge they've got, their cause for the arrogance that they are portraying is there. For the one who doesn't even have knowledge in the first place, but then he has arrogance upon wanting to be known as having knowledge, and he's arrogant upon, uh, if you belittle him as he thinks by not calling him sheikh or this or that, then this shows you what the minds of the people are like these days. Shows you what the minds of the people are like these days. And it is because the means have become so easy for everybody. In the olden days, if somebody wanted to pretend to be a sheikh, wanted to pretend he's got some knowledge and he's got some position, in the olden days, you had to do something. You had to go and study a little bit. And you had to have at least some students if nobody was coming to you, you sat there by yourself, no students, no nothing, you're not going to be able to convince anybody I'm a sheikh. In the olden days, for the one who wanted to try and pretend, you had to have something at least. Had to have somebody coming and sitting in your class to show that I'm a sheikh and I got students. You had to have something. These days you don't have to have anything. Requirements now, zero. There are no pre-requirements. Prerequisites are not required anymore. Now anybody, as long as in fact there is a prerequisite, the only prerequisite now is that you have the ability to use YouTube, and you have a camera, you have a mic, as long as you have those things, you have fulfilled the prerequisites of our time to become a sheikh. That is all that's required. You sit down, you video yourself, you put the books behind you, or you put the Photoshop picture behind you, and then you talk and you do some narrations and whatever, and you keep posting every week, and you are active on social media everywhere. As long as you have that prerequisite ability in social media, that is all that you need to become a sheikh. Maybe you've never studied a thing in your life. Maybe you're not even barely 20 years old yet. Suits and everything, gotta look nice when you're on video. So this is how it is with the people now. This is what has become of the people. And they have a great degree of arrogance. Despite not having studied, not having any background, not having any ability. That social media now has opened up the door for them to uh, uh, entertain this idea for themselves with the people. Get all of these followers. Look at all these people now on YouTube and these social media channels. Some of them saying, we are going to give da'wah workshops. And uh, come this week, we're going to teach you how to give khutbahs. 
how to do a Jum'ah khutbah properly and how to uh, structure it and all these things. And these are people who have never ever studied with the scholars. They've never studied a thing with the scholars. Never been there to the people of knowledge to learn, yet now they are the ones giving the knowledge. That's why they used to say in the olden days, the stages of knowledge, the first stages are learning, studying, understanding, practicing. Right at the end comes the stage of teaching and disseminating. At the end comes the stage of teaching. At the beginning is the stage of sitting down, learning, memorizing, studying, going to the scholars, reading the books. Doing all of that is the first stages. Then eventually if you come to some level that Allah blesses you with, and you're able to teach, then you come to the level of teaching afterwards. But now, now those early stages, those months and years and days and nights that you have to spend studying books upon books and learning and memorizing, that takes far too long. It now requires the fast track method, the fast track to bypass all of the actual studying, and go right to the end, just get your camera and your mic and your shimag and the books and make your videos. Put the title down, Sheikh such and such. And he is from the students of this man and the students of that Sheikh. So this has become a calamity amongst the people these days. Knowledge should not be sought in this way. It is not to be sought in this way. You do not seek knowledge from the YouTube personalities, but rather seek knowledge from those who are grounded in knowledge, from those who have a background in studying and learning, from the scholars who are grounded in that knowledge. So here the point was regarding arrogance. And then the man, he asked the Prophet ﷺ, what about wearing the good clothes and the good shoes, etc.? Is that considered from arrogance? But the Prophet ﷺ explained to him, that's not the meaning of it. If Allah's blessed you with uh, garments and clothes and you look nice and neat and tidy and presentable, that is good. That is good. Allah loves the beauty of a person who has that and is able to uh, dress in that way nice and neat. That's good. That is from the characteristic of a Muslim. But the arrogance is the one who rejects the truth when the truth comes to him because of his arrogance that he doesn't want to be, uh, to be seen as being wrong in what he was saying. So he doesn't want to accept the truth when it comes to him. Or arrogance that he belittles the people thinks himself to be more knowledgeable than others, thinks himself to be superior to everybody else. And that is the way of these YouTube personalities. They are sheikhs. You people, everybody are nobodies. Nobodies. You're laughing? You want to ask him? Ask, put a comment on it, he'll tell you you're nobody. You people are no one. The sheikhs are these alamas now. Arrogance to a level that has not been seen. Arrogance to an amazing level of what they think they are now, from these follows and these YouTubes and whatever else. So be aware of that, that is not the way. Nowadays, from the fitna, this is a fitna which has overcome the people. People who go to Medina University, who get accepted in the different places, the institutes of studying, barely after a year they've been there. And whilst they are there, they already have their blogs or their vlogs or whatever you call them on YouTube. And their daily routines, and they're showing you this, and they're showing you that, the life of the student, and they're already building up their, their online persona. They're already building up their following. It's all about personalities now. Personalities and wanting that fame. Fame has destroyed these people. 
desire for fame, desire to be known on the YouTube everywhere, I want to make the videos on TV here, there, desire to be known, barely done a year or two years in the university yet, already when they're there, making their videos and doing this and that, and sitting there advising the people, mashaAllah, advising the people, and they are, as the scholars say, they are only the chicks, you know when a hen lays eggs, the small chicks, they are only the small chicks yet, making a high pitched sound yet, they have not grown into being the hens yet, and yet already they want to act like they are from the scholars of the ummah, that they are going to benefit the ummah, mashaAllah. So this is something to be aware of, and ensure that your knowledge is taken from the right places. We'll have to conclude on that point for today. Uh, and we'll carry on with this in two weeks time inshallah ta'ala with a few more narrations, a few more ahadith from the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So we'll conclude upon that for tonight. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.